Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. Join us as we journey together through the book of 1 Peter in our current series entitled Living Hope. We pray that this message will encourage and enrich your life. For more information, please visit us on the web at bluffhurst.com. We are going to continue in a series we have been uh, going through for the last couple of months in 1 Peter. We're in a series called Living Hope. And listen, I got great news for you. We are going to finish chapter 1 and start chapter 2. Isn't that exciting? We've been in chapter 1 for like two months, uh, but it's going to be great. Before we do that, as you find 1 Peter chapter 1, you can go ahead and uh, jump down to verse 22. Before we read that, uh, I've got a question. Do any of you have a video on the internet that you're like obsessed with, that you just watch over and over and over because it just makes you giggle? Anybody? Just me? Okay, a few of you. I've got like, I've got lots of them, honestly. Too many to show uh, this morning. Probably my all-time favorite video. It's like three seconds long. It's pointless, but it's my favorite. There's a grandma, and she's carrying a milk jug. I'm assuming it's empty because of the velocity at which she chucks it when her, I'm assuming it's one of her grandkids honks the horn uh, at her. I think we have it here. So let's, have you seen, have you seen this? <laughs> let's, let's run it back. Let's watch that again. It's worth watching twice. It's so good. I, I have probably seen that video, um, I don't know, a thousand times. And um, another video that I've watched a lot, I actually put on the internet myself, our very own uh, Walter Jackson, who's one of our best Kids First volunteers, got baptized right over there. And uh, if you haven't seen it before, this is probably my favorite baptism of all time. Here's Walter. Um <laughs> That that's, hasn't happened before or since. Um, it was fantastic. Another one of my favorite videos, it's really silly. Um, it's actually a whole episode of a TV show. Some of you guys, it's kind of an older show now, but some of you have seen the show Wife Swap. Anybody heard of Wife Swap? Now listen, I do not recommend, as your pastor, swapping spouses and families. It's probably not going to go well. But just like any other reality television, it makes for some entertaining uh, moments. And the favorite uh, episode I've ever seen, I don't watch the show, but I saw the clip, and I just I had to go watch the whole episode. Um, um, it's of a little boy known as King Curtis. Some of you guys, any, anybody know who King Curtis is? A few of you know who King Curtis is. And here, here's the deal. Uh, Curtis's mom is swapped out for this other mom. There's this wife swap, and a lady named Joy shows up, and she's a military gal and a healthy eater, clean eater, fitness, all that. And so she's going to get them whipped into shape, and she's going to introduce healthy food and get rid of all the junk food, and suffice it to say, Curtis is not a fan. He is not happy about this. And, uh, and so, as silly as it's going to be, you're going to watch it, it's going to be ridiculous, you're like, why are we watching this in church? But it's going to set us up, because we're going to be looking today at, at, at a picture of what it looks like for us to try to deal with living in a new family. Uh, when you and I became Christians, we joined a new family. We were adopted. And uh, how many of you guys know you don't get to choose your siblings? 
right? You just, you just give in siblings and given members of the household. And so I'm going to propose to you that as silly as this is, Curtis, King Curtis, is a picture of how we often behave in this new family that we are thrown into. It's, it's easy to have a bad attitude. It's easy to, to not go with the flow, and especially when somebody tries to tell you how to eat. Amen? And so uh, enjoy a minute or so here of King Curtis, and then we'll jump into our text. I need you guys to help me in the kitchen to fill these. Very happy to be going this way. King Curtis, First <laughs> Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter writes uh, to the scattered church in the area we would know as Turkey today, he continues with this thought of, man, this living hope that we've been given, how do we flesh that out, how do we live? Verse 22, says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for, well, what's, the, what's the point of all this, for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes the Old Testament. He says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. So it is with us. We, we wither and fade away, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If we were to sum up the passage today, I think we could, we could summarize that Peter is telling us we need to grow up into love. Elbow somebody, tell them, grow up. Grow up into love. And this looks like a lot of things, but he starts out with the why, the goal, how this is going to happen. And that goal is that we might have brotherly love, that we would love each other the way that we love our own blood relatives, that we would love earnestly. 
And that, that word earnestly is not something we, we use a lot, but it's, it's kind of an athletic term, a fitness term, uh, if you will. I had to look it up because I don't know a lot of fitness terms. But it, it's about stretching something out, maxing something out. Those of you who have been uh, on a bench press lately, I'm told that after you, you do your set number of reps at the end, you're going to try to just get one more rep in, and it's going to stretch your muscles. It's going to be the difficult thing. Your spotter might have to even help you, but it's there to make you stronger. It's there to stretch you out. And Peter says, look, love each other earnestly. If you do this right, if you get these things in the right order, you're going to be able to love in a way that you didn't even think was possible from a pure heart. And what Peter is doing, and and what honestly much of the New Testament is doing, is is fleshing out for us what it looks like to obey what Jesus called the greatest commands, right? Jesus was asked once, teacher, what's the greatest command? And like any good Jewish boy or any Pharisee or rabbi or anybody else would have answered, he started with, the greatest command is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all your eyebrows, all your toenails, everything, right? Love God. But the next thing he said was, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, that opened up new questions. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus taught that it was everyone. And then he says something fascinating. He says, all of the law and the prophets, everything else hangs on, he doesn't say not the first commandment, but hangs on these two commandments. You want to know what it looks like to love God? Love your neighbor. You want to love your neighbor, you're going to have to love God. And so Peter is fleshing that out. What does it look like to love our neighbor, especially those neighbors that are our brothers and sisters in Christ in this new family? Again, if you're a Christian, whether you knew it or not, the moment you became a Christian, you were adopted into a new family. You have new brothers and sisters. And all of you guys uh, that know, have experienced what it's like to have a stepbrother or stepsister or a new baby brother or baby sister or to have in-laws, all of you understand that all of a sudden you have new family and you don't get to choose who they are or what they do, what they think, but you got to figure it out. you got to figure out how to make it work. And so we have been put in this new family even if we didn't get to choose who it was. Some of you guys are in a small group. There's somebody in your small group that stretches your love a little more than everybody else does, right? Like some of you, you, you're, you go to a church and you're like, I love most of these people. Some of them are harder to love. Maybe it's me. It's harder for you to love. Like it's, it's, it's easy for us to realize and relate to this concept that, man, in a new family, it's not always easy. It's not always simple. We don't always get to pick and choose, but we have to figure it out. We brought um, my son home from the hospital. You know I'd find a way to put this in here, right? We brought him home last Saturday, and oh, and uh, you know what? He didn't get to he didn't get to pick. There was no survey at the hospital about whether or not he wanted a sister. He came home and he had a sister. Right and a second mother. If we're being real, she's 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 in charge. She's three and a half. She's like, Mom, did you bring diapers? Did you remember the milk? Did you remember? She's 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 taking care of him, right? But she didn't get to choose if she wanted to remain an only child or if she wanted to have a little brother. He didn't get to choose whether or not he'd have a sister. You just get thrown into this new family and you have to figure it out. You have a new father. God is your father, and so you have new brothers and sisters. That is giving us a new identity, okay? 
And here's the thing, this is critical because you have an identity, you find your identity somewhere, and if you're not careful, your default setting and definitely the way the world around you is gonna communicate to you is gonna be to choose things to define you that are secondary things. I'm not saying they're not important, but they are secondary things, and they're gonna, if you're not careful, you'll put them before the primary thing, and it's gonna mess up not only your life, but the whole family, okay? Your primary identity ought to be that you are a child of God. You are now a son of God. You are now a daughter of God, and you have brothers and sisters in Christ. That ought to be your primary identity. The world likes to take these other categories, these subcategories and boxes, and and say, this is who you are. You're this, right? And then from there, we can receive certain people or reject others. We can celebrate certain people and cancel others. And everything's in these boxes. And again, I'm not saying none of these boxes are significant, but I'm saying that to a Christian, all of those other things have to be of secondary importance. Your primary identity or category, if you're going to put yourself in one, if you're going to be in one box, the first one has to be that you're in Christ now and you're his. That's how it has to work or nothing else works. Hear me plainly, okay? You're not a conservative or a liberal who happens to be a Christian. You're a Christian who happens to be conservative or liberal, okay? You're not strong, independent woman who happens to be a Christian. You are a daughter of God who happens to be a strong, independent woman, okay? You're not a confident Young black man who happens to follow Jesus. You are a follower of Jesus, a son of God who happens to be a young black man, okay? It has to be this way. You're not any of these other things. Jesus has to be first. Otherwise, you're going to get everything backwards. And this is critical because we live in a world that has it all backwards, that has it all broken, and there is no unity in our world. Can you look around our world and agree there's not much unity? Right? We pretty much all, the only thing we agree on is to disagree, right? And we don't even really agree on that. You shouldn't be allowed to disagree with that. We we fight about everything. There's so much polarization in the world. Everything is you're this, this, so I have to reject this. It's it's crazy in our world. God help us. Lord, forgive us if people outside the church look in the church and see the same thing. How tragic that we would come and draw lines in the sand about anything other than whether or not we are his. That's the main thing. We'll sort the rest of this stuff out. The main thing, more than our skin color, more than the color of the box we check on a ballot, more than our sexuality, more than anything else, the main thing has to be that we are under the name of Jesus. Anything else leads to division. Anything else leads to backbiting. Anything else leads to to, to tearing down the body of Christ rather than building it up. And Peter understands this. He's writing to a church or churches, house churches scattered that are made up of Jews and Gentiles. And if you don't understand that tension, it is intense. You have a group of people who have grown up pagan, doing whatever they feel like, worshiping a few dozen different gods, and you have another group of people that have grown up with Jewish rule and law and tradition and one God, and, and, and they can't have pork, and the Gentiles say, listen, bacon is good for me, right? <laughs> and, and then you got the people over here like, no, you have to act like us, and no, we shouldn't have to act, and there's, it is drama. It is drama when you try to blend families, Right? 
But Peter says it has to be done. We've got to look like a healthy family, not perfect, but strong. Our love for our Father and our identity in Him, that should overcome the subcategories. Again, not that they're not important, or they don't matter, or we can't disagree, but first things first, okay? And so in order to keep that in perspective, listen to what Peter says. He says, you have been born again. Okay, You may have been born into this family, you may have been raised into this worldview, you may have developed into these opinions, but you've been given a new birth, you're born again, not of something perishable, not of something that doesn't last. Nations rise and fall, powers come and go, people like, like the flowers of the field wither and fade away. Tell me how much you know about your great-great-grandparents. We're a couple generations away from being forgotten by the world, and yet we have an opportunity to build our lives on something not that is perishable, but the living, abiding word of God that is forever and ever and ever. Peter says, you've been born again. You've got a new category that comes first. You have a new life that is living and is teaching you how to love. And I don't, I mean, Jesus himself, the Bible says, in the beginning, the word was God, the word was with God, the word became flesh. Jesus is the word. And if the word is living and active, and the word teaches us how to love, Jesus is life, and Jesus is love, and we meet him, we gotta have a new life, and we gotta have a new way to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so with this new family, this new identity in mind, Peter's going to get practical. He's going to bring it down to to where the rubber meets the road. What do we do? How do we flush this out? Chapter 2, verse 1, he said, put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that you might grow up into salvation. Here's the thing. Our new family requires some things of us. First, we need a new attitude. (laughs) We need a new attitude. Tell your neighbor, you need a new attitude. Some of you were telling the truth. Some of you were telling the truth. He says, look, this is how you used to live. Put away malice. What is malice? This is when we have a bad will towards someone, right? It's an unforgiving spirit. We want not the best for them. We want the worst for them. We have bad thoughts about them. He says, put away malice. Put away deceit. Put away deceit. And that word deceit, that's, a, that's like a hunting and fishing term, actually, in the original language there. You know what you're doing when you, uh, when you put uh, a nice little lure on a hook and you cast it in the lake, Wapapella? You are deceiving that fish. You are straight up lying to that fish. You're like, look at this beautiful food. And then there's the hook. And, and Peter says, look, put away Deceit. Don't hurt other people. Don't act one way, but you're really looking out for your personal gain. You act like you care about them. You're just trying to get close to them for something else. You got something to gain from that relationship or whatever. Put away deceit. Put away hypocrisy. There's a term we love to talk about. Don't pretend you care about stuff you don't care about. Don't hold other people to standards you don't hold yourself to. Don't pretend. Don't put on a mask. Don't be insincere. Don't, don't, don't. Don't do that. Put away hypocrisy in this new family. Then he says, this is a tough one. Put away envy. I'm scrolling to Instagram, comparing myself to every other preacher, every other church, every other dad. 
It's so easy to, to have envy, jealousy, comparison. Here's what we do. We look at what is good that happens to them, and we feel bad about it because it's not happening to us. He says, put this away. And then lastly, he says, put away slander, right? Gossip, talking poorly about people. Um, we, we, and you know why I think these go hand in hand. A lot of time, envy and slander go together. We see someone, we see all the good happening to them, we're jealous, and so to bring them down to our level... We slander, we find something to critique, we find something to whisper about, complain about, we don't tell the truth, we stretch the truth, we have an opportunity to ruin what other people think of them. Peter says, take off these things. And it's clothing language. He says, put these things off. That's not you anymore. These old categories, this is not you. Take that stuff off. Get a new attitude. And like newborns, Long for, crave spiritual milk. What is spiritual milk? It's the word of God. And he's not being condescending here. There are certain passages that are like, you guys are still on milk. You ought to be eating steaks by now. You know, And it's kind of like challenging us to grow up a little bit. That's not what he's doing here. He's saying, no, no, no. I want you to crave the word of God. I want you to crave spiritual milk the way a newborn craves milk. So we have a new attitude. We also need a new Appetite, a new appetite. Curtis had a bad attitude, and he didn't want anybody messing with his appetite. No matter how much you change up the family, he does not want to change. But for us, we got to have a new appetite. And as we do that, as we develop these taste buds for God's word, all of a sudden, uh, we begin to have different thoughts about the things we used to have a taste for. You know, if all you have ever had is bologna and cheese sandwiches, you probably love bologna and cheese sandwiches, but somebody lays down a ribeye in front of you, and all of a sudden, that bologna and cheese don't taste so good, right? Like, I want the good stuff. Peter says, if you would crave the word of God, you would have a distaste for envy and slander. I mean, it's just hard. It's hard to be reading the word and meditating on the word and taking all that in and then turn around and talk bad about somebody. The, the word is a great way of changing your appetite for that stuff. Some of y'all, your relationship with God is just focused on you trying not to do things, but you're not taking in the word. You're not spending time with God. You're not taking in anything positive, so you're just trying in your own willpower, and you're frustrated because you can't do it. You've got to replace. If you're going to cut the junk food, you've got to eat some vegetables, you got to take something good and you got to long for spiritual milk. And this is critical because, because here's the truth. Bad appetites ruin communion. And I'm not talking about the communion where we come and we, and we you know, take a cracker and take some grape juice and I hope we can do that together again soon. We haven't had communion together as a church in a long time. One of my least favorite parts about the pandemic, we stopped doing that together. But, but, but I'm talking about the communion table in the sense that we're in this family, we're sharing life together. Listen, a bad appetite will ruin that. It'll ruin a friendship. It'll ruin a church. It'll ruin a small group. If you're there, focused on yourself, how do I pull myself up? How do I pretend? How do I look good? How do I pull them down? How do I talk about them? Make sure, listen, it will ruin communion and community. If we're fake, if we're jealous, if we're gossiping, if we're fronting, if we're lying about each other, if we're talking about each other, it does not work. And these two issues, our attitude, our appetite, they are not unrelated. How many of y'all, your attitude and your appetite go together? You get hangry? To quote the great theologians at Snickers, 
You're not you when you're hungry, right? You're not you when you're hungry. You've been given this new identity in Christ. You're not going to act like this son of God or this daughter of God if you never eat, if you never drink the milk, if you never put in what you need. You're going to walk around acting like somebody else, like the old you. Peter wants us to crave the word of God. I mean, you can, you can have a Snickers too, but he wants you to crave the word. I mean, the ice cream Snickers is the best, isn't it? It's the best. But otherwise, we're not going to live like the sons and daughters that we are supposed to. We're going to live like our old selves. We're going to live like the world if we're starving spiritually. If we're going around, we're going to be pretending and, and, and compromising and backbiting. And, and, and it goes together. Those old habits, those old attitudes, they'll ruin your appetite. But listen, a good, healthy appetite for the word will ruin those old attitudes. The old saying is true. Sin will keep us from the Bible, or the Bible will keep us from sin. It's true. The word of God changes how we live, or the way we live will make us not have an appetite for the word of God. You know, when my daughter was born, um, she wasn't eating enough. She, she didn't have the right kind of appetite. She wasn't gaining weight. She was losing weight. And so we had to change up her diet and we had to supplement and do all this different stuff. And finally, eventually she started to put on some weight. And so my son's born. I'm wondering what his appetite's going to be like. Let me tell y'all something. He is different than my daughter. He has, he has no problem. Dude knows how to eat. That's all he wants to do. He, he's miserable unless he's eating. Appetite is not an issue. Listen, a healthy infant is a hungry infant, and a healthy Christian is a hungry Christian. If you're a Christian and you have no hunger for the things of God, you have no appetite for the scripture, you have no desire, I've been there, but we got to do something about that. We got to stir that back up, or, or you are not going to be healthy. Can you imagine if Brooke and I decided, you know what, we're just going to feed Olson for an hour on Sunday, once a week. How ridiculous. Right? We wouldn't just make him mad. We would starve him. We would kill him. He has to have sustenance. Can I, can I tell you? You are not going to survive following Jesus in this world with the pressures that you're going to face and the suffering that's going to come that Peter talks about and, and the trials that are going to come. You are not going to be able to get by on an hour a week and, and, oh, then you miss a Sunday. Now it's two weeks. No milk is not going to work. And so we've got, we've got to have an appetite. We've got to have a hunger for the word of God. And when we do that, man, we grow. My son's growing. He's a grown boy, you know. Soon he'll figure out bacon is good. There's another clip that we didn't show where Curtis said, chicken nuggets is my family. You know, he'll figure that out. That's all he cares about right now is food. And, and, and that's, that's how we got to be. We got to have a hunger where we don't, man, we're not gossiping and slandering and pretending and all this stuff. Listen, newborn babies don't have any of that stuff. Olsen doesn't gossip. I mean, he's a little selfish, but he don't talk about anybody. He don't do nothing. He just eats. What would it be like to be a part of a church where we don't worry about any of that stuff? We're not pretending. We're not... We're not pushing other people down. We just come hungry. We just come ready for the word of God. Get your appetite back. If you've never had one, jump in. Find an easy reading plan. If you're a new Christian, listen, don't do this. 
I, I know so many new Christians, they're like, I'm going to read the Bible. Well, I don't know where to start. It's a book, so I guess to start on page one. And I'll just read the whole thing. And you read, in the beginning, God created, and you're like, yes, Lord. And then you're in numbers. And you're like, reading the Bible's not for me. Can't do it. I can't do it, right? Don't do that, right? Like, pick a gospel. Read about Jesus. Get something you can, like, don't try to read the whole thing this weekend. Pick, pick a book. Read James. Read, listen, you could read ahead. Read First Peter. You'll know what we're talking about. You'll have your questions ready. But find something where you can stir your appetite. Get into the word of God. Listen, wouldn't it be awesome? And make no mistake, I want you to eat good when you're here, okay? We put work in to make sure that this is not just some lecture. Like, we want you to hear the word of God and get something out of it every single Sunday. We care about that. But what would it be like if you walked in next Sunday and you were already full, you didn't walk in starving. You didn't walk in like, man, Pastor TJ better bring it today because my life is just a mess. But you came in, you've had, you've had three course, three meals a day for seven days. You're feeling good, and you come in ready, not starving, but full, ready for dessert, ready to help somebody else that hasn't been eating good get a little something. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. And as you're working up that appetite, Man, you got to ask yourself, what do I need to take off? Who do I have malice towards? Who do I have envy toward? Listen, you might need to unfollow someone who's a great godly person. But for this season in your life, you're just comparing yourself every time you look. And you're looking at the best of their life and comparing it to the worst of yours. You might have to just delete the app, unfollow the person, snooze for 90 days, do what you got to do. Who, do, who am I jealous of? Who am I, who am I trying to uh, impress? Who am I trying to pull down to my level? Take that stuff off. And Jason, if you want to join me. Um, if we do that, then we can love each other with brotherly love. We can love each other earnestly, stretched beyond what we thought possible. And some people, it takes a stretch, but we can do it. We can build each other up more than tear each other down. You saw at the end of that clip of King Curtis, he said, I'm leaving, you can't stop me, you'll never see this face again. <laughs> but the, the narrator says, uh, after going to his grandmother's house for a few hours and eating chicken nuggets, Curtis makes a triumphant return, right? Curtis shows back up, right? And I know it's silly, but like, he doesn't leave the family. He leaves, he's mad, he leaves for a minute, he comes back. And there are so many Christians in our world that are falling away from their faith because they've encountered hypocrisy, slander, hurt, envy. Or they're falling away from their faith because they've listened to the world and they've believed that these subcategories are more important than this main thing that we have in common, that we are sons and daughters, we are brothers and sisters. Don't let that be you. Don't, don't buy the lie that you got to get rid of all the people in your life who don't think like you and agree with you, and then you can love these people, and that would be a beautiful expression of love. Look, if you only love, the Bible says, if you love people who love you, what good is it? Can you love your enemy? Can you love a Christian who thinks differently? Can you love a Christian who votes differently? Can you love a Christian from a different side of the tracks? Can you love like real family, stretched out, maxed out, Sometimes it takes a lot to love your family. It takes a lot to love your in-laws, not mine, yours, but 
can, can, you, can you do that? Can you do that? I was reading in my devotion this week, Paul David Tripp, New Morning Mercies. He talked about the cross, and we talked about the cross before, how you know it's got two beams, one's vertical, one's horizontal. There's our relationship with God, and there's our relationship with each other. Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor. But he talked about how it's so easy to get one of those wrong and it mess up the other. And he talked about how it's so easy to expect of one what we should be getting from the other. And so we, we go, God, why won't you fix this relationship? And we're looking vertically and he's going, why won't you apologize? Why don't you let your pride down? We're saying, God, will you, will you provide? Will you do a miracle? And he's saying, will you work? Will you quit that? Will you? And similarly, gosh, how easy is it to look at our friends and go, man, accept me, love me, give me purpose. And that's supposed to be coming from him. To look at our spouse and go, completely, complete me, give me, give me happiness, satisfy my soul. And that's supposed to be coming vertically. You can't, get, you can't get either one right if you don't get both right. You might be really good at loving people, but listen, without the love of God, you are only going to be able to love them to your own abilities and in your own categories. There's going to be some people that are too big of a stretch. And similarly, you cannot love God fully and turn around and not love people. It's just, it doesn't work. You, you can't love me and hate my kids. You don't love me. And so we've got to make sure we get both beams of this cross right. Let's make sure we have our relationship with God right, our identity in him. We find our joy in him. We find our value in him. And then we turn around and we're able to love one another with a brotherly love from a pure heart, love one another earnestly, setting aside all this old stuff and, and craving the goodness of God's word so that we could serve each other better, so that we could crave spiritual milk. I'll leave you with this. Stand with me if you would. The very last part of our passage, verse 3. He says all this stuff, right? Put away all these stuff, crave spiritual milk, and then verse 3, there's an if. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Here's, here's how I want to put it down Popper Bluff terms. You can try as hard as you want to love the Bible and read the Bible. You can try as hard as you want to love people and be a good person. If you haven't tasted that the Lord is good, if you haven't been made new, if you haven't been saved and forgiven and transformed, all that other stuff is pointless. Jesus said, there's going to be people that stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, we did so many things in your name. We were on a dream team. We went to small group. We shared life. We stepped up. We did it all. And he's going to say, I never knew you. It's a terrifying thought. So that, that's a question. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, have you? Have you? And if you have, then we begin to set aside these things and we crave spiritual milk. I'm not here to condemn you if you're a Christian and make you feel like you're not saved, but I am here to ask you, are you? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? Is he changing the desires of your heart? Do you have an appetite for him? 
And if not, that can change today. And we'd love to pray with you. We have leaders that are slipping to the back right now. They would love to talk with you, pray with you. They're praying that you come pray with them. These altars are open. You can come pray by yourself. And we're going to sing a song that we're going to pray just stirs up your affections and your hunger for Jesus. Lord, would you meet us here? Would you change us from the inside out? Would you help us to have just childlike faith and innocence and a craving that we can't go another day without you and your word. When we, when we miss a day, I pray we wouldn't feel condemned, we wouldn't feel guilty, we'd just feel hungry. Help us to grow up into love and to grow up into spiritual maturity, that we, we could be a church that the world that's so divided looks into and sees a real family. That's attractive. That's a place people want to be. That's a, that's a church that'll change the world, change Poplar Bluff. Help us, Jesus, in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, please visit us on the web at blowthirst.com.